and every week we come together as a church and we study the scriptures which teach us about Jesus, about the work of Christ in the world. And uh, this week we have a really special uh, opportunity to hear from a young man in our congregation, uh, Joshua Patterson, who himself has only in recent times experienced uh, the victory of Christ in his own life. Uh, Last summer he was baptized and he's going to come today and share with us Uh, a little bit of his story and some of the things that God's been putting on his heart. Uh, And part of the reason we've asked him to share with us is he's about to leave near the end of August. He's leaving uh, to go to missionary training school in Australia for six months. And so we believe that God has put a special call on his life to proclaim the, the gospel of Jesus Christ publicly. And so we wanted to give him an opportunity. He came and he asked us, he said, hey, I have a desire to to speak uh, the Word of God, to teach the Word of God, uh, what it would look like for me to do that at Sedaris. And so we got talking, and uh, we're super excited that he's going to be here today sharing with us. So I wanted to, just to set up his time of teaching, I actually wanted to read through First Timothy chapter 4, just a few verses in there that talk about this. Joshua, you're 23 years old, is that correct? 22 years old, okay, so even younger than I thought. 22 years old, about to turn 23. You always turn 23 after you turn 22, so you're a young man. You're still a young man, and uh, what's so interesting and why I uh, was just all week thinking and and reading through this part of Scripture is, uh, look with me. I think we've got it up here. 1 Timothy 4.12 says this, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And I love that because uh, what I found, and I'm, I'm in a cohort with Joshua, and so I get to hear him uh, ruminate on the scriptures and, and tell me and the rest of our group what he's learning in his time with God. And, and what I found is that he has a special wisdom, even though he is young. And so we're super excited to give him this opportunity to come and, and teach with us. But I want to read to you, Joshua. Actually, why don't you just come up? Because I, I want to, uh, like I would a younger brother, I want you to sit on the stool. <laughs> and I want to just read these words over you, okay? 
one of our principals here at Sedaris is pass it on. And I do this here. I get to speak and preach and teach the Word of God, but, but you know what? I'm not the hope for this city. I'm not the hope for this world. Um, Jesus is the hope. And so we pass on what we have learned, and we pass on opportunities, and we pass on even things that we've learned about teaching and preaching. And so we've spent probably, what, five hours together this week just working on the things that God's put on your heart and working them out. And I've taught you some of the uh, things I've learned about teaching and preaching. And so uh, it's been really fun to pass these things along. So I also want to pass along to you the words that the Apostle Paul wrote to a younger brother, Timothy, as he sent him out into mission. And so this, this day today is, you know, Josh will be here for, for another month, uh, so we'll have lots of times to talk with him, but this is, in a sense, us sending you out. And so I want to give you the charge of these words. So we've got the whole passage up here. So you can even turn around, Joshua, and you can, can watch as we read this out loud. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godlessness has, a godliness has value for all things. So you've got to read it closely, you see? That was, that was a test. That was a test. Are so you reading it closely? holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive because we have put our hope in the living God who is the Savior of all people and especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which has been given to you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So that's a bit of my charge to you as well. I know you're just now stepping into this and you felt God has called you to missionary training school in Australia and that's a next step, but, but I just wanna say we believe in you. Uh, the elders of Sedaris Church, we believe in you. Uh, we want to put our weight behind you and, and the work that you're doing and uh, we're so excited to hear what God has to say through you today. And so if you would, can I just pray for you and then we'll give you the pulpit, and let you teach us from the Word of God, okay? Okay. Would you pray with us? Heavenly Father, we thank you, first and foremost, for sending your Son, Jesus, to die, to take our place, to pay the price that we may be reunited with you. And we thank you that you have sent your Spirit to Joshua, even when he had turned from you, that you turned him back by your Spirit, and now he is full of life anew. We just thank you for that. And we thank you for the spiritual gifts and the natural gifts that you've given to Joshua. We do pray that those would come alive more fully as he just humbles himself and sits and hears from you and is filled with your spirit. We pray for protection for him. We pray that you give him wisdom now as he proclaims your gospel publicly God, may he just be filled with joy getting to do one of the greatest 
things that we all get to do, which is speak aloud the good work of Jesus so that all can hear. It's in your name, our Savior, our Redeemer, our Christ, the name above all names, the name of Jesus that we pray these things. Amen. All right, brother, take it away. All right. Good morning, you guys. How are we doing today? Awesome. Awesome. So, I mean, I had a little bit about the sun shining, so it wouldn't be too long, but the sun is not shining today. We are in Seattle. So, um, well, a lot of you guys know me. Um, I've been here for about a year and a half now, which is maybe 30 or 35% of this church's lifespan. Um, um, but a lot of you guys don't know me. And so today I'm going to share a bit of my testimony and also a bit of what God's been putting on my heart. Um, because especially this last year, um, just before baptism and until now, has been probably the greatest period of growth in my entire life. Um, but first off, although I was spending all this time prepping with Dave and going through my outline, I kind of hid this part from him. But uh, I just want to thank him and Pastor Ryan a lot, um, not only for letting me speak today, but um, just for discipling me and teaching me, you guys, um, over this last year and a half. I know it required a lot of patience with me at times, especially early on. And um, all the wisdom that Jesus has imparted to you that you've shared with me, I've been entirely grateful for. Um, I mean, my parents have taught me so much, too. They're like rocks in my life, but I think you guys really help facilitate the most growth in my spiritual life. So I'm really thankful for that. Um, they didn't know this either, but I'm just going to throw in a little bit about pastoral care, you guys. Um, these guys are spouses, they're dads, they're pastors, and this higher calling has all eyes on them. Um, but we shouldn't forget to check in with our pastors, too, you guys. They're also just humans as well, you know? Um, their wives work in great jobs in the city, pretty demanding jobs. One works for the city of Seattle, pretty high up, and the other one works at Seattle Children's Hospital, which is a, it's a stressful job. But then they're also parents and mothers and fathers, too, and they've got two young kids each. And if you've babysat any children across the whole world, not just theirs in particular, you know that takes a lot of effort and energy, and you can't really get too many things done when you're watching them. Um, so, I mean, I just wanted to remind you guys, and myself included, that we should take them out for some coffee, ask them how they're doing, maybe bring some food over to their house sometime, or offer to babysit their kids and say, hey, Ryan and Christiana or Dave and Allie, go on a date, you know? Like, you guys need some time together. So, um, these are just some of the ways we can care for our pastors and their families. I know you guys can think of some others on your own, and we can all do kind of unique things that our gifts pertain to to help them out, but yeah, we should really help them out. We all, I mean, most of us come to them seeking answers or help or advice, and that takes a lot out of, out of a person and requires a supernatural energy from God. So just also to help support our pastors and their families would be fantastic. Um, and I know uh, Dave just prayed, but uh, I'd like to pray again before I start sharing um, what's been on my heart. So if you guys can bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, um, we come before you today with open hearts and minds, Lord. Um, we thank you because you've gifted us with abundance of talent and uh, places in this city, a city with opportunity, a city with beauty all over, and a wide range of cultures and people, Lord. We thank you for this wonderful community you've knitted together over the last three or four years, and we'll continue to knit together moving forward. I pray you will continue to be at the heart of this congregation and at the heart of the pastor's minds, and that they will be able to lead this in your will and in your plan, Lord, and help us reach more people here in our own neighborhoods as we're beginning to do. Lord, I pray today, um, as I share what you've been sharing with me over these past few months, that um, I would not say anything that goes against your word or your will. And if I do say anything contrary to your word, um, that it would not stay in the minds of the people today, that you would lead me to speak your truth this morning. 
We know your spirit is present here today so that people might receive you. In your holy name I pray, Father. Amen. All right, you guys. So I'm just going to give you guys the brief PG version of my testimony and then share a little bit of uh, what God has been teaching me over the last few months. If some of you want the R-rated hairy stuff, come see me another time, and I'm willing to share that. This just isn't the place for that. Um, So I was born in Singapore um, until uh, I was about seven or eight. Then I moved to the country of Indonesia. Um, A lot of people don't know where that is on a map, haven't really heard of it. I'm like, dude, it's the fourth most populous country in the world. Come on, you know? It's like world geography, but... It's all good. A lot of people think I lived up in a tree hut or jungle sometimes, but we had hot water and TV and all that kind of stuff, you guys. I wasn't out in the boonies, although there are areas that are unreached like that. Um, My parents have been missionaries for over 35 years. Um, They were with a group called YWAM, also known as our Youth with a Mission. Um, And I'm so blessed to have been born into my family. We never had um, the most monetary stuff, but uh, I've never met people as happy as my parents. And as strong as rooted in their faith in Christ as they are. Um, and already you guys are probably like, oh, great, this guy grew up in the church, his parents were missionaries, yada, yada, yada. I'm not going to hear anything else he says. But you guys would be pretty wrong if you thought I just lived a straight-edge life my whole life. Um, out of my three, uh, two other siblings and I, I probably caused my parents the most heartache and sadness, for sure. Um, when I was young, at 12, I started smoking cigarettes. And I began searching for my own answers to life around 14 or 15. Started drinking then. Um, and so I spent about five to six years away from the faith. Um, and I finished out my last two years of high school here in Washington in Puyallup. Um, and this is when I really began to make some bad, bad choices, you guys. Um, over the most of those years, I called myself a deist. And for those of you that don't know what that means, um, someone who claims to be a deist means they believe God exists, but he's over there somewhere not caring about this world. Um, And I thought that. I thought I didn't care about the world. I saw all that was going on, and I thought I didn't care about myself. Um, For literally four years, and this is not an exaggeration, I spent almost every minute of my life high, smoking weed in its various forms, doing other drugs, and uh, chasing highs at festivals, going to Europe to see my best childhood friends, and and doing some crazy stuff. But I was also looking to relationships and experience with women uh, to fill a void that I've felt my whole life. And I'll tell you, none of them did it. I was living as the king of my own world, answering to no one. And my mom would tell me time and time again she was praying for me and that I would make God my refuge instead of turning to substances or people. And my response was always, yeah, 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 right. Um, Even before I was thinking about God again, though, I had begun to see how my actions were not only hurting myself, but everybody around me. Most of the choices I had made had myself at the center of them, and man, did I ruin some great things. A short list of those include my girlfriend of two and a half years, some quality friendships, my health, and my studies. Between work and late nights partying in community college with my friends, my grades in community college tanked. I failed the class for the first time in my entire life, and uh, I also had a couple two-point-somethings. I mean, community college was a breeze, or was supposed to be a breeze. I did quite a few different drugs in hoping that they would satisfy, or at least delay, the longing I had inside for something or someone to find contentment in. Along the way, my mom's words were always there. God can be your refuge, your contentment, your comfort. But I didn't get it. My response was still, yeah, 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 right. But one night, up late with some friends doing drugs, I stepped away and looked at myself in a mirror. saw how exhausted and drained I looked. I was 20. I looked miserable, I looked sad, and I looked like I was the face of a 31 or 32-year-old. Like, I looked beat up, you know? <laughs> um, 
but I, I was like, no, nah, you know, I'm still doing good. It kind of turned me off from doing a lot of other drugs, but I still smoked weed a lot and didn't turn to God for sure. To me, he was still not near. He was far off somewhere else. Um, my mom's words were still there, but I still said, yeah, 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 right. Now, in 2017, I transferred to Seattle Pacific University here in Seattle over in Queen Anne, and uh, this didn't change my life. I was still getting high before class. I would bike home two miles, get high again, and bike right back to school. And I'd do that throughout the day to make sure that I was always not of sound mind. And I made the dean's list that quarter and actually did pretty well. So I continued to justify my habits, saying, oh, it's not affecting who I am, how I act, or what I do. But looking back on it, I had this disgusting God complex and judged everyone else while thinking I could do nothing wrong and I needed no one. Um, then in my second quarter at SPU, I had a theology class. My professor, Dr. Bannon, was this great man who made me really think through Christianity and his theology now that I had a, not a mature perspective, but a more mature perspective than when I was 14, 15 growing up in this stuff. Um, and so I started slowly thinking, all right, maybe God is present. God is here and God cares, you know. However, I still didn't turn to God when I was looking for some comfort or peace. I kept going to those same old crutches. I see now that everything I used to find peace was so temporal and just left me wanting more. In January of 2018, Nathan, my housemate, suggested we should go looking for a church. A bit hungover and tired that Sunday morning, I suggested we just walk around Green Lake instead. But he was Googling his phone secretly, and we ended up bumming our way into Sedaris. And when I say bumming, sweats in a hoodie, middle of winter, looking like rags, you know? <laughs> but then we, we heard a sermon from Pastor Dave that day, and I don't know, we just knew, like, wow, they preach from the Bible, they don't let everything go. It's not a wishy-washy church. And we were like, this is awesome. And then we met Pastor Dave and some of the other members here at Sedaris in our sweats, and they welcomed us. They were like, oh, we're so glad you're here. Some people gave us hugs. We were like, we should go get coffee. It was like, this is crazy, man. We look beat up today. We were hungover, you know, but they still loved us just the same. Um, and so after beginning to attend Sedaris for a while and going through the Alpha course, um, I was fortunate enough to be sitting at Dave's table, and he just kept asking us the toughest questions, you know. Why this? Or why do you think that? I was like, man. And when you start thinking through these sort of things on your own with someone else facilitating it, it really opens up your mind to what you believe and what you think, you know, is or isn't real. Um, and after uh, going through Alpha, just before getting baptized, I decided, all right, I'm going to begin trying to spend some intentional time with God. And a crazy thing happened. It turns out my mom was right. As I began spending time praying, worshiping, and reading the Bible, I started to understand what it was always supposed to mean that God is my refuge. The best times I've had with God are in my alone time with Him, as sometimes you can feel His presence or hear His voice. I'm not saying God always speaks in my quiet time, and I'm not saying that God only reveals Himself when we spend intentional alone time with Him, but it is the best way to hear Him speak. So I'm going to kind of transition a bit from my testimony and focus a little bit more about this best way to hear God speak. Um, God really is my refuge now and that I can find peace and comfort in him. He is not a far off, unconcerned, uninvolved God, but he's very near, very involved, and cares very much to speak to me when I take the time to listen. So I want to spend the rest of my time today helping you see that God does speak. He is near and he can bring you the comfort that I fought for for so long but now have found. And the best way to realize that is to spend frequent, intentional, expectant time alone with him. So how do we know this is the best way to hear God speak? Well, we can kind of learn this through general relationship theory a little bit. 
And of course, you can go out and hang out with your significant other or some really good friend you're getting to know in public with a bunch of people around. Or you can look at their Facebook page and see what they like or what they've been up to. Um, or you can even have dinner with the potential in-laws, and you can still learn a lot about them. But we all know that the deep conversations where someone tells you what's on their heart and on their mind come usually, not always, come from one-on-one -on -one time without other people or distractions pressing in on us. Since we are called into an active relationship with God, it's the same with Him. There is a way of knowing, that, of knowing God that only happens if we spend time with Him one-on-one. -on -one. It doesn't mean the other times we spend with God in large gatherings and considered cohorts and Bible studies are not important. It just means that we also need some intimate one-on-one -on -one conversation with Him. In addition to general relationship theory, though, I have much better proof that this is the best way to hear God. It's found in the gospel accounts of Jesus' own life. Um, I'm just going to take a look at Jesus' life through some of the gospels um, and see how many times in the gospels Jesus leaves his disciples or the crowds he's teaching to go and pray in solitude by himself. For a long time, I read through the gospels multiple times a year. I think there's so much you can learn from Jesus' life um, and the way he interacted with other people. And it really only takes about two and a half months if we read a chapter a day to go through them all. So you could probably knock out the Gospels three or four times a year and still have some days off. Um, but I'm just going to read a few times uh, and a few references I came across to that really hone in on, and then really hone in on one in particular. Um, I don't really have much Bible reading today, but if you guys want to open up to Matthew 6, that's where I'll be in for most of the time, just a couple verses from there. Um, but first, I'm just going to read a, quite a few verses I found to show you that it's not just Matthew 6, 6 where Jesus left to be by himself. Um, but Matthew 6, 6 says, But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Another reference is Mark 1, 35. It says, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed, that is Jesus, and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Luke 5, 15 through 16 says, But now even more the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he, will, he would withdraw to desolate places to pray. Luke 6, 12 through 13 says, In these days he went out onto the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when, he, and when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them the twelve, whom he named apostles. I'm just going to have a little side note here that uh, even Jesus, before picking his twelve apostles out, he went to God, and he spent some time alone. That's a big decision. So whenever we make our own massive decisions and we need some guidance, coming before God's feet and giving it up to him and spending some time with him can sometimes and oftentimes offer us some clarity. Um, God wants us to ask him for help with big decisions, for he wants us to be in line with the plans he has for us. I'm just going to hop into the Old Testament real quick and quote Jeremiah. Um, and this is the Lord speaking to Jeremiah. Jeremiah 29, 11-13 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So two things I want to highlight from that passage from Jeremiah. Obviously, the most famous part of that is verse 11, where it says, For I know the plans I have for you. And this is amazing. He has plans for us, and they're not evil. They're not dark, and they're not going to lead us to an awful place. Because as long as we have God in our plans... He's going to give us a future and a hope, even if that leads us to persecution. But what I also want to highlight is it says, then you will, in verse 12, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. So God hears us, and God also speaks to us. Um, 
That's what I want to highlight from Jeremiah really quickly. And then going back to Jesus in solitude, Matthew 14, 23, after he, that is Jesus, had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was still there alone. And Mark 14, 32, and, when they, call, uh, and they went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. Look at all these examples of Jesus going off to pray in solitude. Um, I really want to highlight Matthew 6 because Jesus also instructs us just to pray in our room. We all know Matthew 5 through 7 is some of Jesus' most well-known teachings, as it's commonly referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. He teaches us many radical things in this section, starting with the Beatitudes. Then Matthew 6, 5 through 14 focuses on prayer, and Jesus teaches us how to pray and what to pray. Um, So let's read Matthew 6, 6 again. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. I really like the NLT's translation uh, version of this as it says, pray to your Father in private instead of who is in secret. And that really kind of shows you, uh, I think that translation is a little bit better. Um, But why of all these passages does Matthew 6, 6 stand out to me? Well, I, like many of us here in the Northwest, love the outdoors. I love hiking, I love being outdoors, paddleboarding, kayaking, but most of all, I love to surf. Now, it's really cold here. You have to go kind of far here, but surfing, there's nothing better. No sport or almost anything in this world is better to me than surfing. Waiting out the back between sets and marveling at God's creative power as you feel the waves go roll by, see the sky, and hear the birds. You know, it's just such a wonderful reminder of his power and his beauty. And I know a lot of people, myself used to be included, always expect to meet God on the mountaintop. And he definitely can meet us in those moments. But my favorite part of Matthew 6, 6 is that Jesus reminds us that to be grounded in God, go into your room and shut the door. This is Jesus reminding me and us that I must seek God daily and that I must not be chasing and justifying my love for surfing and the outdoors by saying, that's where I meet God, so I have to go surf or I have to hike. I also love this verse and the placement of it because just a few verses later in chapter 6 is the Lord's Prayer. One of the only teachings of Jesus on what words to say when you pray. How crazy is this? Jesus told us where to pray and how to pray with the door shut and in private before he told us what to pray and the words he gave us. That's pretty impressive. He could have just said, this is how you pray and where you do it. But first, he laid the groundwork and told us where and how to pray before he said what to pray. Going to be alone with God is the best way he can connect with us and reveal himself to us. Now, as an extrovert, my form of downtime is hanging out with my housemates or my friends, being in public where a lot is going on. But over this last year, I've begun to spend a lot more time alone in quiet time, and just in general. My life is busy enough that the quiet and silence really help me find rest. I know it's not easy to set aside 15 to 20 minutes a day, and some of us will really have to look at our schedules to try and fit that in. But I know that it's so worth it. Now, a few of you might be thinking, all right, so what does that look, for me like, look like for me today, and where do I start? Well, listen, I don't know your story and how it will work or look for you, but I can talk about how it began to change my life and that it can be done and that it's so worth it. It's been really hard for me to change my priorities, and at times it was really hard for me to find the time to spend with God. For the last six or seven months, I have been the busiest I've ever been. Most weekdays, I would leave home at 8.30 a.m. and be home a bit after 9 p.m., and then on my Saturdays, I'd be working 9 to 12 hours at a restaurant down on the waterfront and only have Sundays as kind of a spare day. And I'll just take you guys through a typical day for me in that time period. 
Um, I'd wake up, I'd head to school around 8.30, bike over, and be in class for three hours. Then I'd meet with a colleague whose nonprofit I was working with and helping develop that teaches kids to cook after school in South Seattle. After that, with about an hour to spare, I'd head to the library and work in my parents' small business. And then after that, I would go down to Rainier Beach and help volunteer those, at those cooking classes that I was helping develop. After that, I would head to work and close from 5 to 9.30 until everybody was out of the restaurant and everything was wiped down. And then after that, I had to go home, cook myself some dinner, and do my homework. And that's just a Monday for me, literally, which was, oh man, I don't know what I was doing with all that stuff on my plate. But someone once asked me during this time, if you are never spending intentional time in prayer with God, and you can't build in 15 to 30 minutes a day to spend time with God, is your heart really in the right place? And that really convicted me, you know? It's like I thought I was doing all this good stuff, had my priorities straight, but if I couldn't build in some time to spend time with the Creator who's shown His grace time and time again, you know, was my heart really in the right place? And um, if you go through the, uh, the Gospels in particular, you see that Jesus always talks about matters of the heart and your intentionality. So I think it's really important to check ourselves sometimes and see where our heart really is in all this stuff. So that was just a glimpse of my schedule and what it looked like. And I'm not saying to say I'm better than anyone or work harder than anyone. I know you guys all do a lot with our, your lives. But I'm just trying to encourage you guys that even if you have a full plate and a busy schedule, if you desire it, you can find the time to spend with God. Because being alone with God is the best way he can connect with us and reveal himself to us. And then I know I just, I said this again, but people wanted so much from Jesus' life during his ministry. Those three years, everyone always wanted his time and to be around him, to heal, to teach, and to fellowship with. But even Jesus would have to leave to find refuge in the Father. He needed a quiet place to think and connect with God. And so with that in mind, the question becomes, what do I do with the time that I spend alone with God? Well, I try to do four things that kind of help set my mind and time up well to potentially hear God speak because he doesn't always speak. First, I begin by singing some worship, oftentimes singing along to music on my Spotify, but sometimes just a cappella. A little fun aside note, I used to think worship music wasn't that great and repetitive and all this stuff, but now I really connect with God through that and the words and praises others have expressed on how great God is and about his sacrifice really speak to me. And if you guys know anything about Spotify, they generate six daily mixes every day, um, which uses an algorithm to compile music that you like within that mix will have certain genres or artists, and it'll all be a bunch of random stuff that you kind of just play through. Um, all six of my daily mixes used to be things like hip-hop, R&B, some electronic music, some indie music, and then there's an Adele and Alicia Keys station, my favorite. <laughs> but now, from going from none of those six mixes to having anything to do with God's name or worship, it went from the sixth mix on my list to the third mix, and now worship music's actually the first, first mix, which is uh, even the computers are learning that my life has changed, you guys. <laughs> the second thing I do is uh, I thank God and invite him into my time of prayer and Bible reading. I think um, coming into, within him to an open heart to be able to learn from his word and giving him thanks, there's so much to be thankful for in our lives that if we just come to him and kind of vomit out all of our wants and needs and our desires, you know, like, that's a bit disrespectful. We have so much to be grateful for, and yes, we have so much we long for and also could, could use in our lives, but we have everything we need, especially in this country full of opportunity. Then I also say the Lord's Prayer in that time. Um, it allows me to connect with God in a way that Jesus did, because he actually said those same words and taught us that's how to pray. 
The third thing I do then is I read the Bible. Oftentimes it's just a chapter, and I usually take notes, but it depends on the section of the Bible and how much time I have set aside that day and I'm available to do. The thing I do after that, and the most important part, is praying and listening after I've read the Bible. Opening my prayers with thanks again and asking God to help me be or not be like someone or something I read in the Bible that day. I always try and learn from something I read that day. And finally, I always make sure to set a few minutes aside to sit in silence. Sometimes I think some words to myself like hallelujah or thank you or I love you, or I meditate on a verse in particular that, that I read that day in order to keep my mind from wandering and getting distracted because my mind moves a thousand miles an hour, you guys. Um, but, you know, this is what helps me spend some uninterrupted time with God uh, because being alone with God is the best way he can connect with us and reveal himself to us. So you say, Okay, Joshua, this is nice and well and all, but what does it mean to hear from God or feel his presence? What does feeling God's peace actually feel like? Well, sometimes it is a still, small voice, but not often. And rarely at times it's a deep bodily sensation or uncontrollable laughter for me. And trust me, I'm sober when this happens. (laughs) Most often, though, it's a peace that surpasses all understanding. Just knowing we are God's and that we are loved and that we've made choices that please him. This is often what I mean and others mean when they say they feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. In fact, guess where hearing God will take you? Well, let's think, where did it take Jesus? It took him to the cross. Every time Jesus prayed, the Father would guide him toward his final purpose, which was the ultimate sacrificial act on the cross. God's plans definitely do not always align with our desires and our hopes. Even Jesus came to God in prayer asking if there was another way. Mark 14, 36, I quoted just a few verses before where he goes up to, tells the disciples to wait while he goes up and prays. And while he's by himself, he says, verse 36 says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but you will. Even though Jesus was not ecstatic about what God told him to do, he still obeyed. And where did it lead him? It led him to his sacrifice on the cross. So as a disciple or follower of Jesus, where do you think God will guide you when you spend time alone talking and listening to him? It led Jesus to the cross, and so it should lead us there too. Maybe he will give you some clear and specific direction for your life. Maybe he will answer a question that you have. But each and every time you meet with God, he will remind you of this simple and universe-altering truth. I have won the victory on the cross. You are forgiven. You belong to me. The enemy has no power over you because of what has happened on the cross. In fact, if you spend time with God and you feel his presence and hear his voice in whatever way that is, one big, unbelievable, earth-shaking truth should come to your mind each and every time. And this is something I've learned recently. I'm speaking with God. That must mean the cross worked. It worked. It really worked. I'm no longer separated from my maker. God is not far off and distant in some in the cosmos, just watching us all as the world goes down. No, he's no longer distant. He's here. And my mom was right. The cross worked, and I can hear from God again. He is near to me again where he once was distanced because of my actions. I can come before the Lord's feet and experience his grace and his love day after day. It is truly finished in Jesus' work. I didn't understand his sacrifice growing up. I heard it all the time growing up in the church and and going to Christian school and all this stuff, but I never understood the magnitude of it until I ran so far from all of that and experienced the coldness of this world. We no longer lead a priest to go to us on behalf. I can't say, 
all right, Pastor Dave, I messed up. Can you please go talk to God for me and make this right? I can do that myself thanks to Jesus' sacrifice. We no longer need to sacrifice a goat or anything else to be right with God. Jesus did that. God can meet us where we are, and that is so, so powerful. The peace and comfort that we all desire comes from knowing that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross worked. And we know that it worked because we can meet with him intimately. So why don't we meet with him as often as we possibly can? We should and we must remember the powerful sacrifice Jesus made so that we can be in renewed, loving relationship with God. Earlier, I briefly explained how I was trying to find other ways to control my life and find comfort and peace. And for me, mostly, that was marijuana. In fact, for four years, I spent every day high except for when I was in Asia for a bit. Literally, I'm not exaggerating. Almost always from the time I woke up until the time I fell asleep. It was really bad. I would be driving my car, steering with my knees, and using a torch to heat up a nail to do what's called dabbing. Now, this is just another form of marijuana. It's a concentrated form, but I would just, I needed to do it all the time everywhere. I couldn't just drive somewhere and be happy with that. I had to consume my mind with this stuff, you know? And funnily enough, one of the only gifts any of my housemates ever got me was a poster that said, have a dab day for our first Christmas together in the house after I moved here. And now I'm not going to stand up here and lie to you guys. I still fall back into my old ways at times. But those things no longer consume my mind and are no longer my refuge. When I do fail, I am quick to repent and fall before God's feet. We need God's grace and Jesus' sacrifice to help redeem us every day, every day. I'm broken and I'm a sinner, and I know that. And that's why it's so powerful to know Jesus' sacrifice on the cross worked for us and atoned for our sins. It's not something we should abuse at all, but God's grace is a blessing. We do not deserve it. And so with that in mind, we should always live our lives as best as we can for him, even when it's doing the right thing when no one else is doing it. (sighs) Sorry, I need some water here real quick. Pulling a Dave, just... So I've literally spent thousands of dollars. This is not an exaggeration. I don't even want to do the math and sit down and figure out the exact amount because it's way too much over the last four or five years. Thousands of dollars. Literally wasted that money. But now I can say with utter clarity, the only sustainable thing and place where I've truly been able to find peace and comfort is is in my Lord, Jesus Christ. I looked to substances and people for comfort, and I thought my mom and dad were crazy telling me I could find peace from knowing God personally. I just want to say it out loud again. Turns out they were right. But more importantly, Jesus was right. You need to spend time alone with the Father. And when you go and seek him, he will find you wherever you are, no matter what you've done. And it's so much better than all the temporal pleasures or release that this world can offer. And trust me, I've tried most of them. God knows our hearts and knows our intention behind things. God rewards those who do things for the right reason and not out of selfish ambition. If you read through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus slanders the hypocrites and the Pharisees time and time again for doing things publicly, like fasting and making it look like they're miserable because they wanted people to know they're fasting. In fact, Jesus says, no, wash your face, clean up, and go throughout your day. This is not for, other, just not for humans to see you. This is for me. God is waiting for those who want to seek him for the sake of finding rest in him. It's okay to need some time away from people, and it's okay to unplug. We even need to take time away from the community of believers to spend time with the Father one-on-one. Finding refuge in quiet time alone with God is not counterintuitive to what it means to be a believer in Christ. You'll find it actually what's allowed you to carry on the mission of God. 
Just be mindful of what you're doing or consuming when you do have some alone time. Even, remember, even TV shows and movies have product placements in them now. You're not just consuming entertainment. Especially in a society where there are so many conflicting views and opinions, it is important to have some time away from technology and people and just rest in God's presence. Well, I mean, keeping it kind of short today, so that's most of what I've got. But I just, my hope today is that you guys begin to try setting some intentional time aside to be alone with God. This is a lot easier than it sounds. I know life gets busy. I know this firsthand. I used to be like, oh, if I have time, I'll give God my time in Bible reading and prayer and come and sit with him. How silly I was. That should have been my priority, to come before God and ask to be filled day after day. I cannot overstate this enough. I attribute most of my growth over the last year to my quiet time with God and having him be the center of my life. And I want you to find what I've found. It's the best part of my life. I used to think I felt peaceful when I was high, but now I'm of sober mind and I've been more at peace in my entire life than I've ever been. I've got a lot more struggles now than I used to. So I really hope you guys got a little bit out of my testimony and what I've been been learning recently, and I really appreciate you guys spending some time listening to me up here. Um, I'd just like to close this off in prayer, and, uh, and yeah, thank the Lord for all he's done for us. Abba, thank you for your unfailing love. Thank you for caring for each of us individually and being present in our lives. May we continue to learn from Jesus and your word. I pray as we go forward this week that we would be mindful of the things of you and be able to glorify you in our actions. Thank you so much for this community and the work you are beginning to do through these people and have been doing in this city. Help us grow closer to you. Help us have a burning desire for you and your truth. And help us most of all to be good examples of what it means to live for you. Thank you for the ability to worship and to glorify you. And bless us this week as we go about our busy lives. Help us carve out time for you. We love you and praise you. In your son's holy name we pray. Amen.